I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we're all twisted up in the episode of NXT that originally aired on January 8th, 2014, and... We haven't really talked about this ahead of time, but uh, I suspect Bob has some questions about this one. Questions? Just general rage? I don't know. Welcome to episode 34 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we were all like, wow, interesting, that episode really subverted our expectations. With this one, it's more like, why? Yeah. Why did you make these choices? Mm. Who asked for this? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I have committed very few crimes. I didn't deserve this. <laughs> Bob, I don't mind admitting to you that I'm confused. I'm slightly annoyed, but there are also some really great things to talk about, too. So I expect we'll get into the good, the bad, and the Adrian Neville of it all as we move Mm. through Bob's breakdown. After that, we're going to have to ring the bell for one of our friends here in NXT. Oh, goodness. And we'll also take a look at, bend an ear towards, and lightly stroke the arm of the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. The wrestling term of the week comes after that, including Bob's latest fanfic, and we will wrap up the show as ever with the cheap pop quiz. But before any of that, it's time to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob still only has four points after her latest visit to Skunksville, but Mm -hmm. that may have changed. Bob, how do you feel about this one going in? I think I did acceptably. Okay. Question number one. Bob, I'm going to tell you something about the next episode that's going to make you very happy. Xavier Woods is back. It did make me super happy. Since his last appearance, Woods actually made his debut on the main roster, teaming up with a wrestler named R-Truth, because the only thing Vince McMahon has ever known how to do with black people is team them up with each other. Mm -hmm. But Woods has also gotten involved in the Authority storyline, and the Authority is looking to punish him for his interference. Who do they make him wrestle as part of this punishment? Was it A, Bray Wyatt, B, The Big Show, C, Randy Orton, D, Triple H, or E, Alexander Rusev? Bob, you went big with this one. You went with D, Triple H. Yeah. Uh, That is not the case. The correct answer was E, Alexander Rusev. But what if he had, though? That would have been been interesting. Would have been amazing. Would have made much more sense. (laughs) Yes. Question number two. Speaking of this whole Xavier Woods thing, which authority figure of the time, who has also been an authority figure in real life, shows up in NXT to give Woods the bad news? Was it A, former Minnesota Governor Jesse the Body Ventura, B, current Knox County, Tennessee Mayor Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane, C, legendary wrestler and founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling Antonio Inoki, until recently a member of Japan's House of Counselors, D, Linda McMahon, Vince's wife, former WWE CEO, and until recently, head of the United States Small Business Administration, or E, current United States president. I I don't remember exactly when this is coming out, but I feel like I'm... uh, Former? 
maybe United States President Donald Trump. I'm not optimistic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to cry either way. Bob, you selected B, current Knox County, Tennessee Mayor Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane, and you were correct. Yeah, I got thoughts about Kane. I can't wait to hear them. Question number three. Uh, you know what? I was just so happy Xavier Woods is back that we just went ahead and made all these questions about him. Last time we saw Woods, he had kind of a Power Rangers thing going on where he shouted, it's morphin' time. What classic nerd catchphrase has he appropriated in this episode? Was it A, I know Kung Fu from The Matrix? B, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry from The Incredible Hulk. C, I have the power <laughs> from He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. D, I love it when a plan comes together from the A-Team, or E, it's over 9,000 from Dragon Ball Z. Bob, you went with that last one, and as you now know, you are correct. Yay, I forgot I got two, yeah! Yeah, so you're up to six. Good job, good job. Thank moving you. right along, uh, unfortunately for me, but fortunately for you, moving right along. Yeah, and I know. There may be an opportunity for you to recoup your loss. <laughs> well, speaking of moving right along, I believe it's time to get into Bob's Breakdown. Match one, and it's Summer Ray versus Bailey. And already I'm pissed because Summer Ray is trying to lure in Bailey for a hug because they're both wearing headbands. And as you know, as everyone knows, when women are both wearing the same accessory, they have to hug. It's the law. <laughs> okay, I do want to make clear it is actually the law, but it is specifically the law if we're drunk in a bathroom at a club or a bar, but it is the law. <laughs> if you've never been to the girls' bathroom at a club or bar, it is a beautiful and magical place. It's still a gross bathroom, but it's also a place of, of hugging and telling girls, no, don't call your ex. It's not <laughs> worth it, even if you don't know that girl. I have not uh, been in one of those, and I, <laughs> I don't intend on visiting anytime soon. But I just wanted you to know. No, so you, I, I appreciate the report. <laughs> the front lines. That's right. So regardless, Bailey doesn't actually take the bait. I was so proud. Yeah. Instead, Bailey takes control. So Bailey tears off Summer Ray's headband, rolls over her and tries to topple Summer Ray into a pin. That a girl. She's learning so much. Yeah. Summer Ray, though, is not going to be outdone by somebody who still probably has a dinosaur lunchbox. She gets Bailey into the corner and does that long, sensual standing splits where she uses her foot to choke out her opponent. And Summer Ray kicks Bailey in the face and then does a plie, so we know that she's fancy. <laughs> and then next, she chokes out Bailey on the middle rope, putting her leg on Bailey's neck and pushing it down onto the rope like it's a ballet bar and she's stretching. And I'm kind of going, a ballerina heel? All right, I'm into it. I did not think I was going to be into it, but now I'm like, actually, I want somebody who's even more into this ballet theme now. But Bailey is not into it. She knocks down Summer Rae and does a big old elbow from the second rope and then yeah. one belly-to-belly -belly suplex from the hugger, and it's all over as Summer Rae is pinned, and Bailey takes the win. I really liked this match. This was a high spot of the episode for me. I thought this match was really good. It was really nice hearing the crowd react the way they did to Bailey winning, because this is honestly yes. like a legitimately big win for her to like defeat Summer Rae in just one on one totally clean. Like Natalia was there. Natalia was uh, at ringside with Bailey. 
But uh, just like Sasha was at ringside with Summer, but they didn't get involved at all. It was totally clean. The win meant a lot. And like the crowd could tell it meant a lot. And they really, they really popped for it. I liked it. I was really happy that the crowd seemed to be experiencing Bailey the way that I think they should experience Bailey, which is to say with unvarnished joy. They were super into her. I want to say this is the start of a new taping. And I believe this crowd is just like, I mean, the first one to be like, actually like, fuck yeah, Bailey, you know? And speaking of fuck yeah, we go backstage. Xavier Woods is back. And Devin Taylor is backstage and says that Kane is here and wants a word. And Xavier is here for it and ready to take on whatever because he is over (laughs) 9,000. And because he is the most charming man in the universe. (laughs) He says it in this strained, effortful voice of like, 9,000. It's very weird. No, it's perfect. That's what it is. (laughs) And slowly backs out of the shot, showing off his Dragon Ball Z shirt the whole time. He's going like, it's great. And Devin Taylor gives him a look like, oh, I am hot for your nerd references and I will be hitting you up later. You are on the right side of history, Devin. So match two. There is hell to pay for the ending of that sing-off from the last episode. Mm. Aiden English and Colin Cassidy are going to fight it out with sweaty-toned bodies, and they're very damp. Well, at least Cassidy is very damp. He's, You know what? <laughs> he is his usual amount of damp, which is to say too damp. So Cassidy has new music. And it sounds like a rave that's been through a washing machine. Very weird. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I wouldn't listen to it of my own volition, but if it comes on, I'm like, all right, I can live with this. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, much like this match. This match is a quickie. We're not going to spend too much time on it. Yeah. Cassidy starts strong with a storm of elbows. And when English tries to come at Cassidy, Cassidy hefts him up and flings English into a flip over his head. But English pulls the match out of the dive, gets Cassidy into the director's cut and gets the pin. And scene. Miles, the audience is being really weird. They were super hot for Cassidy last time. Yeah. But at the end of the match, they're still throwing roses and calling for an encore from English. So apart from the six dudes chanting breeze, breeze, breeze. (laughs) They do that the whole show. I know. I feel like breeze is the CM Punk chant of NXT. It kind of is, especially in this era. But given that the goal of the sing-off was to make English more hated, does the continued affection for him represent a failure? Or is it just a case of like, oh, it's a heel, but we love this particular heel. Yeah, it was weird because um, the crowd definitely seemed pro-Cass in the match. The crowd uh, has been very into Aiden English in the past, as we've observed. This one, not so much. I think the, you know, possibly the fact that he did... He did the same song as like the first song he ever did, and that Mm. might have contributed to something. But I don't it just seemed like they were generally more into Cass. Um, This was actually not the start of the taping. I just looked it up. I'm guessing the same crowd had seen the sing off. They, you know, had good reason to to cheer for Cassidy and boo English. As to why the roses were thrown at the end, I, I I legit don't know. Maybe they were handing them out. Maybe they just like had them and they if they figured like we have them, we're gonna throw them. Yeah, you know what uh, I mean? Uh, like I don't know. The crowd seemed a little wishy washy on this one in general. Yeah, they did. So backstage, Adrian Neville is being interviewed, but gets a phone call. Oh my god! And it's from Tyler Breeze, who is loitering in the corner. But definitely doesn't want to look at Neville's, quote, uggo face. He is adorable 
And you are wrong, Breeze. Um, <laughs> they do a bit of odd couple bickering. And I want to take this moment to say, yes, I have read odd couple like fanfic and I regret <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Neville puts Breeze on notice that they're going to play a little game. Does Breeze like games? No, he hates them. But they're still going to play the waiting game because Breeze cost Neville the championship and now Neville is going to kick his cute butt into next week. And I felt the frisson. I love this. I just think this was like probably the best part of the episode. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even think there's a question. I think it was absolutely. Well, okay. aside from getting to see Xavier Wood's beautiful, perfect face Mm, again. Yes. But the best stuff happened backstage. Everything that happened in the ring was forgettable at best, pretty much. My favorite part of this was the (laughs) was when Neville says, so Breeze, you like to play games, huh? And like. There's no real reason to say that. Yeah. It's just kind of a stock baby face line. Oh, you want to play games? All right. You know what I mean? Because like, yes. they're always going up against manipulative heels. So that's kind of a thing that baby faces say. And Bree says, no, I hate them. And Neville <laughs> is like legitimately taken aback. Like he doesn't know where to go from there. And so he's just like, well, well, I like them. <laughs> oh, that line, that line <laughs> killed me. I loved it. So I was like. That is every beginning improv class ever is just like somebody no buts and you go, well, fuck. (laughs) So match three, I get more Xavier Woods. Yeah. And now King comes out and it's all hellfire and sort of metal country twanging. And then your most boring uncle comes out from backstage (laughs) in a sensible men's warehouse suit. Miles. Yes. Kane looks like my accountant's less interesting brother. I really nope, should I have more. Kane oh. <laughs> looks like the jerk vice principal in a 90s high school comedy. <laughs> Kane looks like his favorite color is beige. <laughs> Miles, yes. who the hell is this bowl of oatmeal? Oh, God, I really should have done a trading card for Kane, and I didn't, and that's that's on me, and I apologize. Kane is a journey, man. Kane's career is a fucking ride. So, without going on too long, in the absence of a script, Kane started his career as uh, Dr. Isaac Yankum, the evil dentist yeah, of WWF. Gross and creepy. Uh, he then was repackaged and transitioned into Kane, and Kane originally was a demonic character... Uh, he is the Undertaker's half-brother, I think. What? And he, he was brought in to feud with the Undertaker. Who and the it was fuck like, are their parents if he's the half-brother? What is this? Well, their dad actually accompanied Kane to the ring, as it turns out. His name was Paul Bearer. Uh. He's a He's a managing legend. Basically, he was like feuding with Undertaker and he was like, I'm going to... I'm going to bring your worst nightmare, the brother that you left to die in the oh. fire all those years ago or something. <laughs> this is like a Nick Cage film. It really is. So Kane comes out. He's like the six foot ten like demon or whatever, all red and black with these gloves. And he's got this mask on. If you Google him, he usually has a mask. Eventually, he he ended up losing a match where he had to lose his mask. So he unmasked. Oh. And it turned out they, they kept saying that he was like he had a mask on and he had like long sleeves and gloves because he was burned all over. Right. He's a burn victim, supposedly. And fire was like his superpower. But then like they took off his mask and they were like, oh, my God, he was never actually burned. He's just kind of weird looking. <laughs> and 
but he kept doing the Kane supernatural things without the mask. And then eventually he transitioned into this incarnation. And this incarnation is popularly known as corporate Kane. And this is basically uh, Kane has ditched the whole demon stuff and is now a flunky of the authority of Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. But they have not changed his music. They have not changed his entrance at all. It's still the fire and the... It's it's not really country, but it's like the specific brand of metal that is like most yeah. like country, you know? Yes. It's so funny that you're encountering him here for the first time, not knowing all this history. And it's like there's fire and this like ominous music. And like, and this guy comes out, mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. That sounds about right. Yeah, totally. I was like, oh yeah, he is the fucking mayor, isn't he? Like, yeah. I frankly, he looks too boring to be the mayor. I was like, city manager at best. Later on, there's a whole storyline about like the about Stephanie McMahon and Triple H like trying to like bring the demon back and get him to put the mask on, and he like won't do it because he doesn't want to go there again. It's really, it's really, oh, uh, man. it's fascinating. Anyway, a uh, long and uh, and crazy career, and I always personally really loved him as a wrestler. I love watching Kane matches. I know I'm not like, that's not the most popular opinion in the world, but I really enjoy his work. I was going to say I'll never watch it, but now I'm like, I'm tepid on it instead of ice cold as I was minutes ago. I'm willing to try this, this Elmer's glue of a person. <laughs> So Kane is here and Woods is in trouble. So on the main roster, he helped get the big show back on TV. Yes. So as punishment for his, you know, audacity in doing so, he has to fight Rusev. And it goes about the way you would think for a surprise match against a guy that's being pushed like Rusev is. So Woods gets to look good for a second and then he screams, it's over 9,000 and rolls towards Rusev for that clothesline. He's about to follow it up with lost in the woods. But Rusev surprises him by flinging him into the ropes and giving him an even bigger clothesline. Mm-hmm. And Rusev locks in the accolade and it's over. And the audience is dead silent. Do they just not give a shit about Rusev? It's possible they had sort of the same reaction that I had, which is that this doesn't really makes sense in a wrestling storytelling way. It didn't make any sense to me, but I thought that was just me and not the wrestling. So I was no, like, oh, uh, I'm just reacting because I'm not familiar with the beats and maybe this is a thing. Now, on the one hand, it is very clear that the company is very into Rusev at this point. <laughs> Funny now in, in hindsight. Um, they're very <laughs> into Rusev at this point. They just let him beat Kofi Kingston, which we talked about in that episode how weird it was to see a main roster guy come to NXT and lose. Yeah. But despite that, it's still weirder to me for Xavier Woods to come out. Kane comes out and he's like, you screwed the authority. Your punishment is you're going to fight this man. And for it to be like another dude from NXT that Woods has wrestled before. Like, I'm not saying Rusev isn't scary and intimidating. Yeah. But it's so weird that he was like, now you're going to fight this man one of your regular co-workers, and especially because, like, especially because Woods just oh, got promoted. Oh, no, not promoted. Jeff from accounting. Like, technically, Woods is the main roster star, and Rusev yeah. is the fucking developmental guy, but they're just like, no, your punishment is this man. And it's like, that would just make so much more sense if it was, like, Orton or yeah. any, really any of the people that I that I named in the quiz would make more sense. Like, even Bray Wyatt, he's a terrifying main roster guy now. Like, that would make more sense than Rusev, who is legitimately still has yet to make his main roster debut, whereas Woods has made his main roster debut. And it was just, um, it was very odd to me. Maybe that 
fucked with the crowd a little bit. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Also, you know, I guess it's okay when they're black. I don't. Yeah. Rusev has now beaten the main roster guy he beat was Kingston and then he beat Woods. And yeah, it know. tracks with uh, Vince McMahon and WWE's track record for sure. Yeah, it's like it's not great. And then backstage, it's Kofi Kingston again. And so maybe there's going to be some redemption. I'm not sure. I'm hopeful. Mm -hmm. Maybe foolish hope, but we'll see. So in his last match with Rusev, he says he underestimated Rusev, but he won't make that mistake again. So it's rematch time. God damn it, NXT. If you let him be fucked over again, I am going to go back to 2013 and start kicking some ass and taking names. And then we get one of those bullying PSAs, and I don't normally talk about them, but Sean Combs is wearing a shirt that says Invisible Bully, which is the most insane shirt. Is he implying that he himself is an invisible bully? And if so, does not the shirt render him visible? (laughs) What kind of postmodern nightmare of an awareness campaign is this? Maybe he's being really self-aware and like acknowledging that there's a bully inside all of us except for Bob. (laughs) And no, I'm sure I've been mean to people. I can't. I don't see it. No, I definitely have. I don't want to talk about it because I hate whenever I'm mean to people. But I've definitely (laughs) there have been times, guys, whenever I haven't been very nice. I've been Uh, less nice. uh, One time I said a mean thing on Smash Fiction. Oh, no. I know. I think it's because we were arguing, but I don't remember what it was about. Smash Fiction was a show about doing mean things. (laughs) You were kind of forced into that one. You made Dan rap. You're basically... (laughs) Yeah, I did. You rap too. I made you rap as well. Yeah, you did. Listeners, episode 102 of Smash Fiction, The Phantom of the Opera versus Sweeney Todd, Megan Bob raps. You should go listen to it. It's a great episode. (laughs) It is possibly our greatest. Sorry, we should focus on the podcast we're on now. Right, yes. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> so match number four tyson surgically repaired knee kid is here and this springy little mountain goat is ready to kick butt he's up against baron corbin who is about 75 pounds bigger he's real big compared to kid and corbin's main tactic seems to be body checks like that is kind of his his strength they're leaning into the football thing a lot it yeah, feels they like are. although kid does something to sell the fuck out of Baron Corbin. Like at one point, he does a slow motion kind of roll like a crash test dummy. It was amazing. Kid is a master at selling. And Corbin catches a hoof to the gut and then Kid gets to the top rope, leaps over Corbin, grabs his neck and drags Corbin to the mat. It's beautiful. And then A-Rai kind of ruins it. Are you talking about Tyson's twisting neck destroyer device? Miles, that is in fact what I'm talking about. That cannot be the name of it. That cannot possibly be the real name of it. No, it is absolutely not the real name of it. Thank the real God. name of it is a blockbuster. It's a basic wrestling move. And if you're a professional wrestler, you should probably know what that's called instead of making a big deal out of asking Tyson Kidd what he calls it and then providing a clearly made up response. Oh, it was painful. You know how sometimes you're listening to a piece of music and there's a sour note, and but you don't know what the right note is, but you know that that's a sour note. You're like, I don't know what the right thing to say is, but I damn sure know it wasn't that. <laughs> and like just visceral discomfort, I think, on uh, the part of everybody for A-Rye. I have one more note about this match real quick. Okay. Uh, 
I think it's Tom Phillips who says that, or maybe it was Saxton. He talks about the football teams that Corbin played for. And then he says he got like, he used to start fights in locker rooms. Yeah. And like, he was like throwing elbows and shit at at, like practice. And then he went on to say, that's verifiably true. You can find that. And I was like, can I though? And I went and Googled it and God damn, if the man isn't absolutely right, that absolutely happened. (laughs) Oh my god! What the fuck is your problem, Baron Corbin? I don't know if it was just him, but like he definitely like got involved in locker room fights. Jesus. So now we get a quick ad from WWE telling us to watch the 2014 Royal Rumble. Miles, pop quiz. I will give you one point back if you could tell me who won the Royal Rumble in 2014. Uh, the Royal Rumble in 2014 was won by Dave Batista. <gasps> All right. All right. I will take that and you can have that point back. And then I I am down to five points again. One of the more interesting Royal Rumbles that I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. Very memorable. Dave Bautista winning the 2014 Royal Rumble. We'll have to watch it sometime. Match five. It's the tornado match. (laughs) Oh, boy. Miles, you you warned me. You warned me. What did you write for this? This is what I wrote. Kuniko okay. and Camacho come to the ring on gold chain lowrider bikes. <laughs> that is the best prop we have seen so far at NXT. Hands down. Fair. Points for that. The Ascension slink to the ring in their blue gothic fantasy glow. And then I'm not even going to describe the first few minutes of this because the important thing is that the commentary team cannot think of one single goddamn interesting thing to say for ages. There is nothing to narrate. It's just two different sets of chops and kicks. That's it, Miles. Is this why people never do these matches? Yes, this is exactly why people never do these matches, because it's literally just like they pair off and just like punch each other and chop each other and sometimes kick each other and like shove each other out of the ring. They're just like not doing anything for the first like two thirds, three quarters of the match. They don't do anything. A-Rai, I don't know whether he's trying to salvage it, if he's just being an idiot. Who knows? Could be both. Why limit myself? He refers to where Hunico and Camacho come from as the barrio, and then (laughs) calls Tom Vanilla Tom. Your pronunciation of it was much better than his. Congratulations. Oh, I mean, yeah, it would not be hard to do better than his, but like, Vanilla Tom, A-Rai, stop it. So, we come back from commercial... Honiko and Camacho are playing basketball with the bodies of the Ascension. O'Brien gets a bite to the face. That was pretty good. The Ascension dual powerbomb Honiko and Camacho in retaliation. And then I just have the comment, this is like watching the same match in stereo. Why? <sighs> and then Honiko and Camacho are getting smashed from corner to corner like a Newton's cradle. And uh, the Ascension come to take another bite. They get a crossbody and then dual drop kicks. This is about when the match starts to actually get interesting, finally. Yeah, it finally turns into a match. Yes. Victor is on the outside. Camacho flies at him through the ropes. And it's like he hit this very petite brick wall because Victor's body doesn't really give. And so they just collapse to the floor like there was no give in that. That was supposed to be Victor, like, countering him. Like, I think he... Oh, did a, okay. a European uppercut or something like that. Like he was supposed uh, to be count. He, he was countering the dive. Okay. It just looked like they didn't plan it very well. And I was like, oh, that looks like it hurt. I don't yeah, like this. You can usually tell because like if the guy diving like continues his momentum or her momentum and like the other guy catches him and like 
flips him over and like the momentum continues mm-hmm. then it's usually supposed to have been a successful dive but if like oh, the other okay. person does something and then the diver just like stops and like falls it's a good indicator that that dive was unsuccessful even if you can't tell exactly what the other wrestler did to stop okay them. that's good to know and then beefy vampire boy connor takes the opportunity to catch hunico unawares and when victor scuttles back in the ring they do the fall of man and then cuddle together over the pinned hunico the laziest version of the fall of man I in know. history connor didn't even do anything he just like kind of swept his leg lightly <laughs> across the <laughs> ring <laughs> yeah i'm just not like fuck it, it. let's just get out of here let's go back and do some graveyard fucking babe this sucks yeah. let's blow this popsicle this, this stand sucks. oh god it was so fucking the last few minutes were fun but like the most of the match is so oh, boring i feel like upset. you could do like a good version of this like aew could probably put on a good tornado tag match they basically pretend tags don't exist anyway yeah, so pretty like much you do a bunch of like weird spots and stuff you, you know a bunch of crazy shit people flying around coming out of nowhere getting flung in and out of the ring like you can make that entertaining and even they do at the end and i'm going like why did you spend the first eight minutes of this match like just smacking each other yeah, like wandering so around the ring Punching each other. And, like, the crowd is totally disengaged at this point. They're chanting yeah. breeze. They're, they're just, like, don't care at all. The audience was very honest. Miles, do you know the only important detail of this match? The only thing worth noting? What's that? Cotter and Victor have both recently shaved their chests. So they have <laughs> chest stubble. They have chubble. Well, thank you for that breakdown, Bob. I usually ask you at this point what you thought of this episode. I think we're basically in agreement. Yeah. Uh, Could have been better. I had a real moment of like, do I want to keep doing this show? Because I did (laughs) not like this episode of NXT. And then I remembered all the other good things I'd seen. It was like, they won't betray me like this all the time. Just sometimes. Yeah. Just remember all the people that you love that weren't on this episode. (laughs) Sami Zayn and Cesaro and William Regal and, and, you know, Mason Ryan. (laughs) Probably the weakest episode of NXT that we've had, I think. I think so. It is not great. It gets better. So I'm glad you're sticking with me, Bob. I'm glad I didn't get a text from you that was like, hey, so about that recording. You know what? Just, just count me out. I'm done. It's just We're, an unhappy face and it says tornado tag match. Podcast over after 33 episodes. We're not doing an episode 34. This broke me. <laughs> they did almost get me with that. You know what? Really? No, I'm going to save it for what my human heart felt. Save it. But before we get to that, we need to ring the bell. <gasps> we are ringing the bell this episode for Hunico. Oh. Or rather, as the announcers kept calling him, Unico. I mean, but there's an H because my instinct would be to say Unico, but you do say H's. So come on, guys. So back on episode number 27, we talked a little bit about how in 2011, a wrestler from Mexico named Mistico signed with WWE and was repackaged as Sin Cara. When he got suspended for violating the company drug policy, Hunico took his place as the performer behind the Sin Cara character. Now, when Mystico came back, he and Hunico had a feud over who got to be Sin Cara. Mystico won that feud, and Hunico went back to being Hunico. Mm-hmm. Now, we've covered all of that. Yes. What we didn't cover is the fact that in August of 2013, Mystico, as Sin Cara, dislocated his finger <gasps> at the very beginning of a match on Raw. Oof. And as opposed to just dealing with the pain, he decided to stop wrestling the match. He told the referee that he couldn't continue, and he had the ref end the match early by referee, like, stoppage. Now, this earned him a ton of heat backstage. It actually ended up being his last televised match with the company. 
Oh, wow. Because that's fucking toxic masculinity for you. You dislocate your finger and you don't keep wrestling the match. You're a pussy. You know? That's such bullshit. Yeah. Oh, my he, God. He worked a few live shows and dark matches, but by early 2014, so right about now in our coverage, it was clear that WWE was done with him and he was heading back to Mexico. As a result, WWE had Hunico reprise the role of Sin Cara. And we will be meeting that version of Sin Cara here in NXT very soon. So the Hunico character, much like the Leo Kruger character uh, gone, the performer will still be in our lives for the foreseeable future. Is Hunico as Sin Cara the current Sin Cara? He no longer wrestles for WWE, but yes, he has been Sin Cara ever since. Okay, well, I saw him in El Paso, and El Paso went fucking apeshit for him, because I think he's yeah. from El Paso. That I don't know. Sense. El Paso was super into it. I'll say that. All right, well, with that, it is time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? You already talked about it, but I gotta talk about it again. It's the expression on Adrian Neville's face when Breeze undercuts him by saying, no, I hate them about games. (laughs) And Neville is just wrestling with what the fuck am I going to say in response to this asshole (laughs) who just shit on my fucking segue. And then he just nods to himself like, all right. Well, I, I like them, this. and we're going to play one right now. We're going to play one right now. I actually really liked the way he pivoted that. Like, that was pretty I did good. too. I was like, that's the best case scenario for having your scene <laughs> partner just go, fuck you. His expression as he made that choice was so earnest and hobbity that I then went and read a bunch of Lord of the Rings fanfic. <laughs> well, you should. Yes. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Talking about Bailey in that first match. Again, one of the highlights of the episode for me. Uh, first of all, she has new ring gear, which I really like. <gasps> I uh, loved like it this, so much. It's like this really nice purple and there are like these big yellow dinosaurs on her pants. I just really dig it. But the thing that I really noticed about Bailey, this will continue throughout her career. I love her physical acting. Like when Summer was trying to sucker her in and draw her in for a hug based on headband shenanigans. And and Bailey was like, like you could just tell by her, like her body posture and what she was doing with her arms and with her torso. They're like, oh, God, I want to do it. But no, I know I shouldn't. But I want to do it. But no, I know I shouldn't. Her facial acting as well was really good. I was just really impressed with um, her ability to convey that character and make that character seem really genuine and real and like someone you want to cheer for. Yes. I think is probably more an expression of her ability to just like perform the character physically than it is to like say anything on the mic. I so agree. Acting with your body is that's next level. That's yeah. the best stuff you can possibly do. And it's always fun when wrestlers are good at that because mm-hmm. it's like it's almost more important than being able to talk into a microphone. I agree because you're not always going to have a mic. Yeah. In fact, very rarely are you going to get to have a mic. The main part of your performance, the bulk of your performance is in the ring. You're not talking to a microphone in the ring. So it's like you have to do what you do from a narrative and character standpoint very much without speaking. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I mean, tell me all of it because I have a whole list. I know I do, too. We may have some of the same ones. I'm sure we probably do. I'm going to do this one because I just thought it was so baffling. Okay. It's from a He says, 
I have three rules that I live by. And oh, one this them, was on my list. Yes, is never let Alexander Rusev put you in the accolade. Byron Saxon says, what are the other two? What are the other two? Never get less than 12 hours sleep and never play cards with a guy with the last name of any major city. And like... <laughs> He said that, like, he had that prepared. What? But I was like, 12 hours? That's insane. Like, I would love 12 hours, but that's insane. You can tell he spent a lot of time preparing that, and he thought it was really good because he repeats it at the end of the match. He talks about it when Rusev is getting uh, Xavier Woods in the accolade, and then he says it again after Woods taps out. And he says, you follow those three rules, everything else is cream cheese. Everything. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? I mean, the first thing I had written down is, this is in quotes, I'm Tom Phillips here with Byron Saxton and Alex Riley. Just a sentence that filled me with existential dread. Like, that's just, that happens at the beginning of the episode, and I knew I was in for something. What I didn't know I was in for was Byron Saxton has apparently turned heel when nobody was watching? (laughs) What is happening? The last time we ever had any reason to think about or care about Byron Saxton, he was the fucking victim of Cesaro in the Cesaro-Regal feud. And now he's decided to be, apparently, a heel announcer, which Mm. is like... Heel announcers, when they're not done right, are the most annoying thing on the goddamn planet. Yeah. When they're done right, they're great. When they're not done right, they are just, I, I want to, like, spoon my brains out with a ladle. Like, yes. He is so insufferable, and he and Riley spend the entire fucking episode just, like, sniping at each other, because Riley all of a sudden is, like, a de facto babyface announcer who has to defend all the babyfaces because Saxton is tearing them down. And they get into these weird, stupid arguments, and, like, Tom Phillips clearly is like, I'm staying out of this because I don't care. Like, he he ventures in a couple of times, and he's like, yeah, you know what? Not for me. Um, (laughs) All right, Bob, what does your human heart feel? fucking despair like <laughs> like you the commentary team of tom phillips byron saxon and alec Crowley felt like i was being punished for something but i didn't know what it was and i desperately needed renee or regal i can't live like this miles it's too grim i don't remember i'm pretty sure that one of them at least is back in the next episode. I'm pretty okay. sure. I don't remember exactly. Right, I think I so. Can't. I think no, that's a big never part again. Of it. Never again with these three together. It does not fucking work. I no. need one of you to be competent. I was trying to really lean on Tom Phillips and going like, be a Brad Maddox, be a hero. Come on. He got, he got talked over too much, man. He just let the other two go. Ugh. It was a rough ride, guys. Miles, what did your human heart feel? I really felt the Xavier Woods piece of the storyline. Oh, yeah. Um, He is a guy who is being punished by his employers for being a nice person. Yep. And at one point, not to like just go nuts on the commentary here, but at one point, Saxton says something when he's in the match with Rusev, like, what are you going to do? You just going to like put yourself at risk of being fired to help somebody else get their job back? I know. Like, it's the dumbest thing he's ever heard. And just like we are recording this on not to pull the curtain back, but we're recording this on September 4th. Labor Day is around the corner. And like I have lots of feelings about how our culture has villainized the idea of caring for other people oh, and yeah. like putting people above yourself and doing things like trying to get your employer their job back, even though it could result in you being fired. And 
I never wanted to kill Byron more in this episode than that moment. And that's like a big deal in this episode because I wanted to kill him many times. So I just had like lots of feelings about uh, how our society makes us think that being a good person and caring about other people is, is bad and wrong. And that's why we make a nice friending podcast. That's right. We're being yeah. the change that we want to see in the world. <laughs> God help us all. <laughs> no, the change is just kind of like weird and horny. <laughs> well, speaking of weird and horny, it is now time. It's about to be time for Wrestling Term of the Week. But before we can get to Wrestling Term of the Week for this episode, we need to hear Bob's fanfic explaining the Wrestling Term of the Week from last episode, which was Texas Tornado. So, Bob, take it away. The librarian pondered the scene before him with simian equanimity. Rincewind was in the corner being worked over by Ross and Chandler. The crowd was baying for him to get involved. The ref was edging nervously away from him, which was what refs usually did when he was in the ring. He cocked his head curiously at the referee who turned white and fled to the opposite corner. He could get involved, but he didn't especially like violence, and there were no books or bananas involved. (laughs) But he did like Rincewind. Or at least he didn't mind Rincewind at all. He was a good colleague who always shelved the books properly. Chandler paused after a DDT on Rincewind that left him sprawled in a heap of robes and skinny limbs. Ross, I've got this. Go handle the other guy. You do it, Ross pouted. Or just pin this guy and be done with it. The crowd is eating this up. This is the most heat we've had in months. Come on, we had to beg the booker to get this match. We're not going to get another one if we don't at least try to make this Texas tornado look a little bit more tornado-y in Texas-y. So go over there and show the monkey you're not a pushover. Chandler gave Ross a little shove. The librarian pursed his lips. No, he must have misheard. They wouldn't have said that word. They looked like they had the sense of self-preservation. Ross sidled towards him, fingers outstretched to lock up. (laughs) Here, monkey, monkey. Let me just put a nice little hold on you and we can all go home, okay? (laughs) Rincewind gasped quietly and shook his head at Chandler. No, bad idea. Don't. Chandler silenced him with a rear naked choke. (laughs) Nice, monkey. Just let me get in a little side headlock. Come on. Ross crooned. The librarian's nostrils flared. He took Ross's outstretched hand gently. Good, monkey. And then the librarian twisted his grip. (laughs) Ross's wrist and arm made a quiet, crinkling noise. (laughs) Ross's scream outdid the wave of cheers from the audience. The librarian released the hold as Ross tapped, feverishly whimpering and apologizing. (laughs) And you're a winner by tap out! The team of Rincewind and the librarian! The ref gingerly reached toward the librarian's arm to hold it up in victory, thought better of it, and ran over to the nearly unconscious Rincewind and held up his arm instead. Speech! 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 The audience howled. The mic was passed to the librarian who knuckled over to Rincewind and slung him over one shoulder. (laughs) The librarian gave a soulful orangutan gaze at the audience. Ook, he said solemnly, (laughs) then dropped the mic as the audience took up the chant. Ook, 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 ook. And thank you to Changing Shades for the cast of Friends and to Sal Ponce for the Unseen University Librarian. We really, really appreciate your suggestions. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love that fic. That was one of my favorites. I liked oh, it really? Oh, yay. Yeah. Well, with that, I think it's time to tell you about the wrestling term of the week this week. Yes. Which is grabbing the tights. 
This isn't so much a term as it is a tactic, but it often confuses new wrestling fans when it comes up, and since it happens to come up on the next episode, I figured it deserved an explanation. Now, in amateur wrestling, aka real wrestling, like Mm -hmm. the stuff they do at the Olympics when you're trying to pin your opponent, it is illegal to grab hold of any part of their tights, singlet, whatever it is they're wearing. You can't do it. This is because it is possible to use your opponent's tights to gain leverage on them, making it harder for them to kick out or otherwise get out of the hold and helping you hold them down for the pin. Okay. And I have confirmed this with people who once did amateur wrestling. (laughs) This is also illegal in professional wrestling, and it is a time-honored heel tactic. If you want your heel to cheat their way to victory, you could have them low-blow their opponent or hit them with a chair or whatever, but... For that, you need to come up with some reason for the referee to be looking the other way when it happens. (laughs) On the other hand, if everyone is positioned properly, grabbing the tights can be done so that the ref just doesn't see it. This allows the babyface to save face, since the heel needed the cheat to win, but it doesn't make the ref look like an idiot and or a balsa wood statue held together with chewing gum. (laughs) And in a weird way, it adds some legitimacy to the heel as a wrestler. They didn't need to go to crazy extremes to win the match. They just needed a little edge to put them over the top. It's one of those things that works best when the heel has already been established as a great wrestler or a top champion. They probably didn't need to grab the tights to win, but they did because they're an asshole. (laughs) I feel like grabbing the tights isn't done as often anymore, probably because it requires at least a cursory like explanation to understand. Mm. It doesn't really look like cheating to someone who's never seen wrestling before. For one thing, it's really easy to miss, and there were probably thumbtacks or some shit in the last match, so what's the big deal, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he grabbed his clothes. So you need to rely on the announcers and or someone watching it with you to figure out that it's illegal, and then you wonder why, and by the time the explanation is over, you've been taken out of the story completely. Uh, There's also a high percentage chance that grabbing the tights will expose part of your opponent's butt, Mm. since uh, you're usually grabbing the waist of the tights just above their butt. I I don't know if that's a bug or a feature, but um, maybe (laughs) it's considered less PG, and that's why you don't see it as much in WWE, at least these days. The last thing I'll say is this, and honestly, it's the one thing I really need you to take away from this, okay? The phrase, grabbing the tights, or sometimes, like, they've got a handful of tights, is used even when the wrestler's ring gear in no way resembles tights. Oh. If someone does this to John Cena, the term does not change to grabbing the jorts. (laughs) It is still grabbing the tights because the connection to amateur wrestling means that grabbing the tights is the most concise way to convey the idea that the wrestler is doing this specific illegal thing. So actually, it is a wrestling term after all. Yay, thank you. And come back on the next episode for Bob's fanfic explaining it grabbing the tights. I'm sure nobody's butt will get exposed in that fanfic, I Bob. can't imagine that happening. I, Why I don't, would you I say don't, that? I, you know what? I, I have no fears about that. <laughs> None whatsoever. I think you should be afraid of whether or not the tights are going to stay on at all. With that, we have come to the end of our show. But before we get out of here, Bob, we have to do the cheap pop quiz. All right. I'm at five points because Miles has points. earned a point for knowing about Dave Batista and ha- remembering it. <laughs> Question number one. On the episode we just watched, we saw the rare occurrence of a jobber, Baron Corbin, actually looking pretty good for a few minutes before ultimately losing. Next episode, you'll see something even more rare. A jobber we've met before getting a televised entrance. Oh, what? Which jobber would that be? Is it A, Baron Corbin? B, Jason Jordan? C, 
Ty Dillinger, D, Bull Dempsey, or E, Danny Birch? Mm, Ty Dillinger. Ty Dillinger. Question number two. The next episode kicks off with another appearance from NXT dad slash dastardly authority figure Triple H. Hmm. Why is he here? Is it A, he's here to announce some more authority-dictated punishments for Xavier Woods. B, he's here to announce JBL's replacement as NXT general manager, William Regal. C, he's here to announce that Bo Dallas will defend the NXT championship at the upcoming WrestleMania 30. D, he's here to announce a special live NXT show that will air on the brand new video streaming service, the WWE Network. Or E, he's here to announce, period. He's joining the commentary team for the duration of the show. Oh, I don't know if I trust Triple H to do commentary. <laughs> I'm sure he could if he needed to, but I think it's um, he's here to big up the WWE Network. All right. Um, and so D. D, he's here to announce the special NXT live show on the brand new WWE Network. And question number three. In a return to our unofficial regular segment entitled, Is There Women's Wrestling? Nah. How many women appear on the next episode? And in what capacity? Is it A, none? B, one, a manager? C, two in a backstage segment? D, two in a wrestling match? Or E, four in two separate wrestling matches. I'm going to say just two of them backstage. That sounds like the best we can hope for. Two of them backstage. All right. Answer C is your answer for that one. Thank you for that, Bob. And we will see uh, on our next episode whether or not you got any points. So come back for that, listeners. All right, Bob. Well, I think that's about all we got for this episode. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Thank you. Wrestling is a balm for the soul. And you know what? You can always use more soul balm in your life. <laughs> always use more soul balm. They're going to be, you know, we're going to they're going to run out of it at Costco pretty soon. Everybody's going to stock up on the soul balm. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want some just lying around the house? Because, you know, That's you right. go. It's like if you leave out a bowl of nuts or something, you just like <laughs> you just have some every time you walk by. You just like, you know, yeah. you walk by to go get a glass of water, put on a little soul bomb. A little soul bomb. Just dip your finger in the soul bomb, apply it liberally to the soul, and yeah. you feel better. You know? That's yeah. what wrestling is. That's what wrestling is. is. Always have a little bit of wrestling lying around the house is what we're saying. <laughs> You, dear listener, have obviously left this podcast lying around your device uh, for consumption at your convenience. We appreciate that. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate everybody who's become part of our little community uh, here on the show, on Twitter at NXT Wrestling Fan, on Facebook, uh, on our show page and in the Smash Fiction Fan Faction, of course. And we also very much appreciate our patrons. Uh, thank you all so much. No real news on the patron front to uh, to get to on this episode, but we just want to say that we love you and yeah, uh, we really we appreciate do. you. The next wrestling fan federation still under the tyrannical regime of Watership Doom. No, um, no. But I do want to say, I just want to mention, in our <laughs> real life tyrannical regime, <laughs> yes, it seems to have been lifted. Uh, yeah. We mentioned earlier in the episode, which was recorded prior to the recording of this outro, that um, we were hopeful that Donald Trump, by the time you listen to this, would no longer be the president of the United States. Uh, He is still technically the president, but that is only going to last until January 
That's fucking awesome. <laughs> it is. We did it. We did the first thing that we really needed to do. We did. All of us together. When I was coming up with, like, thinking about what I was going to say for this, I, like, part of me felt like I should say something like, this isn't normally a political podcast. But, of course, it is a political podcast. Wrestling is political. All things are political. We have yes. never shied away from that on this show. And we're not going to start now. Uh, so, a hearty fuck you and goodbye to uh, <laughs> Donald J. Trump. Um, yeah, uh, see you in fucking prison, asshole. Yeah, fuck off. I'm so happy that that you have been voted out of office and voted out of office by a significant enough margin that all your bullshit legal crap is just going to go absolutely nowhere. And let's be honest, you don't really want it to go anywhere. You don't want to be president anymore. You want to go start your fucking Trump TV news network and compete with Fox. So go do that until the day they arrest you, you piece of fucking shit. Yay. And thank you so much to all of the incredible organizers who, you know, organized oppressed communities to come out and vote. Like the Native American community came the fuck through oh my God. in Arizona. Yeah. Just in an outstanding way, there was, you know, people who rode two hours on horseback to get there and fucking vote. And to the black community in Georgia who yeah. put up with outrageous and and very legal voter suppression um, <laughs> to try and cast votes and turn Georgia fucking blue. A lot of illegal voter blue. suppression, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also illegal voter suppression. They have both flavors in Georgia. Yeah. They have both mm-hmm. flavors everywhere. But, like, definitely there are parts of the country where, where both flavors are very strongly tasteable. Yeah, if you guys want to know uh, more about exactly just how much fuckery is going on in Georgia and has been for a while, I strongly recommend uh, following a journalist named Greg Pallast, who has uh, numerous books, and you follow him on Twitter. He is locked in on the Georgia thing, um, so check that out. And just a, another quick word about Arizona, um, considering that it's it's where I'm from, it's where I live, it's where I was born. I think it went blue in 92 or 96, one of the Clinton years when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But it hasn't since then. Uh, And it it has this time. And um, it makes me weirdly proud of my state which has never happened yeah. before. Like I, we, we went for Biden. We voted Martha McSally fucking out of here for the second time in a row, yeah. which made me happy. We legalized weed recreationally. And oh, we, you bastards. I was yeah, hoping New Mexico did. would get there first. So that way nope. we could take money. Damn nope. it. We got you. Ah, <laughs> we legalized that, and uh, and our also our like our education tax went through. Like it just like everything that I wanted to have happen for the most part happened here in Arizona. Thank you so much to everybody here in my beloved home state uh, for making that happen, and especially as Bob mentioned, the Native communities, which ninety seven percent turnout. In yeah. the indigenous communities here in Arizona, a community that has been ravaged by coronavirus. Oh, like, shit. Yeah, I, it's real I bad. Just, I cannot say enough for the the native and Latinx, everybody else, the activists, the voters who made this happen. And if anybody tries to tell you that John McCain had anything the fuck to do with this, you tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's the rule. You have to. Miles said yeah. it. You have to do so. it. So do it. Arizona Flipping Blue actually had a positive effect for us, too, Bob, because one of our patrons, uh, Cam, doubled his pledge from $2 to $4 uh, because Arizona went blue. And uh, thank you, Cam. (sighs) Thank you. And also, speaking of blue, stay tuned because we are going to come up with a cool way to 
get a bonus episode out to you and also benefit the runoff in Georgia to keep Georgia blue yes. and to keep being accountable to the black community. Yeah. We're going to figure out, be doing some stuff to try and send some help Georgia's way. Cause we could really use those Senate seats. Keep an ear out for our plan to do that. Your third romance novel episode is coming. Yes, it is. It's going to be out in about 10 days. It is about ice planet barbarians. Um, so <laughs> look forward to that if you if you're sick of election shit, then why wouldn't you be at this point and yeah. you want to read about big throbbing ridged blue cocks? Yeah, you do. Keep an ear out for that episode, which is coming up soon. In the meantime, keep the faith, y'all. It's going to be, yeah. you know, the war has never won, but this was a big fight that we needed to win. And we did. It's morning again in America. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that somewhere Ronald Reagan is just clutching his side in agony going, how dare you? Like a zombie fine Reagan is so upset right now. And that's, uh, that's what he should be feeling. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck you, you corpse. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? You're dead. You were never that smart when you were alive. <laughs> anyway. Good with monkeys, though. <laughs> on that note thank you so much we will see all of you in two weeks with the next episode of the next wrestling fan bye the next wrestling fan is produced by miles schneiderman with logo design by claire mulcairin Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for being literally, I think, the first person ever to reward me for my weirdly encyclopedic wrestling knowledge. <laughs> like, when I talk to Jared, you know, she'll be like, hey, I, did you do this thing I asked you to do 20 minutes ago? No, of course not. I forgot about it. Hey, Miles, who won the 2014 Royal Rumble? It was Dave Batista. This is what my brain <laughs> does. Normally, it does not get me anything, and I appreciate you breaking that streak. Oh, anytime I am also that person. I'm like, do you want to hear about a fanfic I remember from 2013? Absolutely. Do you want to know if I remember to uh, water my plants? No, there's a dead one I have right now that speaks to that. <laughs>